0: One of my mantras has always been, speak up even if your voice shakes. And I think that's that's the impact I wanna have on other people when it comes to ethics.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Where Accountants Go, the accounting careers podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for the show. Well, today we have an internal audit professional that always felt like she wanted to, in her words, be more of a crossing guard, helping people along instead of the bad cop, so to speak, in internal audit. After working many years in the field with organizations, she decided it was time to broaden her reach and strike out on her own with her own business in order to be able to help even more organizations with their internal audit effectiveness. Amanda Joe Irvin, or Joe, as she prefers to be called, joined us for today's show. Joe Irvin is the founder of Audit Period, Consulting Period, Education Period, LLC, or ACE for short. She does a variety of things through her business to include teaching at the university and continuing education levels. She does strategy work for internal audit departments and consulting on a variety of policy development and risk areas. Basically, she's using what she learned working years in the field to help others through her own company at this point. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing Joe's story. And if you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please check us out on Amazon by visiting my author page. Just search for Mark Goldman on Amazon and it'll pop right up. We have a few books there for both accounting professionals and employers of accounting professionals that can help you in your daily professional life. And as always, if there's anything I can personally do for you in your own career or for accounting organizations you're involved in, please reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview today. Here's Joe Irvin.
0: Well, hello, Joe. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank
1: you for accepting. Well, for the audience, we have Amanda Joe Irvin joining us for the podcast today. And Joe is a professional in the audit and training space. She owns Audit Period, Consulting Period, Education Period, LLC. I just really love that name. I approached Joe about coming on the show because I feel like it's important periodically to talk about ethics on our program because it's something we all have to face at some point in our accounting careers. And it's important that we handle those situations appropriately, not just for the public, but for our own mental well-being. That's very important. Well, Joe, before we get to the present time, let's make sure we cover your overall journey in some detail. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place?
0: Well, this is probably going to sound crazy to some people, but I absolutely loved principles of accounting, the class and college. And I did. I loved it. I loved debits and credits, and I loved that everything balanced. It fit with my brain at the time, and I'd say that was my first gut instinct that I should go into some field of accounting. I didn't know how many options there were at the time, but I really loved the class content, which is kind of funny since I just got off teaching principles of accounting virtually right before we got on this call together. So That is
1: interesting. We've done over 200 episodes. I'm sure there are some people that love principles, but no one's ever mentioned
0: it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am unique. I'll give myself credit for that. So. <laughs>
1: Were you an accounting major at the time, or did you decide to declare it later?
0: I did. I declared it after that first accounting class. I think I knew I wanted to go the business finance route of some sort, but I always saw myself as more probably going to go into marketing or design. I had these aspirations as a young child that I wanted to be an architect, and I always loved math. So I think it kind of stemmed from that passion of mine. I always liked math. It was my favorite subject in school. But I did right after that first principles of accounting one is when I decided I was going to be an accounting major. So
1: okay. Wow. The principal teacher did a good job rope in one hand. They did.
0: Right. <laughs> they did. Yep. That
1: is good. That is good. So it looks like KPMG may have been your first job out of college, but correct me if I'm wrong, of course. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. It looks like you didn't stay too, too long. I know it's not right for everyone, you know? So how do you feel you benefited from that initial experience? And I guess, why did it end up being something that you decided to move on from?
0: Sure. I interned with KPMG. I interned with another kind of mid-level firm in college. I went to the University of Georgia. So I'm a bulldog, go dog. And the big four, it was the big five right up until, you know, right around when I was in school, they recruited very hard at the University of Georgia. And KPMG was the company that kind of, I felt like was a really good fit for me at the time. And it's kind of funny. I love that I interned in the Atlanta office But they ended up actually letting me transfer offices. So that was the first thing I loved about KPMG. That's what got me out to Denver. Colorado, where I am now, 17 years ago, I met the recruiter out here in Denver. And she actually said, hey, would you come out here and take this job out here with never having been here? So I said yes. And I packed a budget truck and drove across the US and joined KPMG in Denver. I think what I learned right off the bat was I wanted a home base. I think when I left college, I was really excited about working for one company and and kind of having that home base feeling and making a difference at that company. And what I learned, really quickly with KPMG is a lot of travel. It's a lot of jumping around from clients to clients. And I think that just wasn't what I wanted at the time. I really wanted to get to know a company. And so I watched people as they grew their careers at KPMG. A lot of them would stay for a while and then go and work for one of their clients right down the road and figure out what they wanted to do. But I decided after about a year that I wanted to try out internal audit. I did made the switch pretty quick on from external audit being a lot of different clients, to internal audit, to having that home base that I wanted. But I'd say I didn't really even answer your question. To answer your question, the most benefit I got though was deciding what industry did I want to work in, what different industries really intrigued me. And that's really how I got to pick the one I ended up in, along with, of course, the people and the network that I made there in public accounting for that first year. It was just great and will forever be valuable to me. Sure. Yeah, I think that's The leading,
1: well, work-life balance is the other one, I guess, but (laughs) one of the leading reasons that I hear when people move out into industry is they just want to go deeper with one organization, you know. Instead Mm -hmm. of, yeah, yeah, touching them and moving on, (laughs) right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Did you go to work in internal audit with a client, or did you find something else?
0: I did not. It wasn't a client of mine. I actually had a couple oil and gas clients, governmental clients when I was at KPMG and few financial services clients. And that's where I ended up was in the financial services industry. I worked at a company called Great West Financial, which is now really rebranded as Empower Retirement. And a lot of people know them now because they bought the naming rights to the Broncos Stadium here in Denver. So now people have heard of of Empower Retirement because of Empower Stadium. But that's actually where I ended up spending the majority of my career. I was there about 10 years in internal audit there.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, a lot happens in 10 years. So walk us through that time, I guess. What were some of the milestones along the way? And what do you feel led to your ability to continue to grow during those 10 years with Great West?
0: Sure. I started as a senior internal auditor in 2005 and eventually worked my way up the internal audit director at the organization. And I think to me, looking back on those 10 years, The biggest, I don't know if there was one milestone where it happened, but I'd say the biggest thing that I worked on over those 10 years was to change the reputation of internal audit within our organization, which is really one of my main goals, even at my new company, which I know we'll get to. But I want to change this reputation that internal auditors have as a bad cop. Everybody hears that. We walk around with a black hat at the organization. I really want to shift that to being, I always explain it as, let's be a crossing guard instead of a cop. I want to be that person that really helps the organization from point A to point B and really improving the organization's objectives and helping them meet their goals. And so that was my primary goal and building that relationship within that one company, as you said, going deeper into that one company, it really did allow me to do that, to form those relationships and really help change the reputation of internal audit within Great West. Okay. It's interesting you say that because we've
1: interviewed a lot of people on this show and I think the ones that enjoy internal audit and make a career out of it, that's exactly what they work towards is being a value add. And the individuals that try it for a while and decide it's not for them, they're never able to get to that point. <laughs> they just feel yep. like the bad cop all the time. And I don't know if that's a, an individual situation or maybe an organizational issue.
0: I see that a lot too, and just coaching different internal auditors. And, and one of the first questions i ask is really, do you feel like your goals match the goal of your organization? Because it is hard when you keep hitting walls and your organization Organization or your management won't let you become that value add, trusted partner, consultant at your organization. You know they have to kind of open the gate for you to do that as well. So sometimes it is, I think, a lot the organization. And I do push people to keep looking, keep looking till you find that really good fit for
1: you. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know if this question is going to get us into your company now or not. If it does, that's fine. But do you have any advice, or I guess? From your experience, things that worked well for you, if someone is an internal audit and they're trying to get people to see them as the crossing guard instead of the bad cop, I mean, mm-hmm. any, any mm-hmm. advice for how
0: to make that happen or help that happen? Yeah. So I always say that every finding that we have needs to be the start of something new. And what I mean by that is I'm trying to convince auditors to move from the find the problem business to the fix the problem business. And a lot of auditors will scream, oh, they're independent, so we can't fix the problem. No, but I want you to really help try to solve the problem and really help advise the company on that fix and what that fix should be. So I think really just shifting your mindset from issuing a report full of findings to move on to, even from your recommendations, move on to, let's now do kind of a change in implementation project. Let me help you along the way as you implement this change or this recommendation that we maybe had in our report. And it's really just going beyond what you would normally do as an auditor and yeah, just taking it one step further. That makes sense.
1: I'm not sure which came first, the teaching or ACE LLC. (laughs) So I guess take us forward from Great West. What caused you to decide to get into teaching? What was the decision-making process like for you to decide to start your own business? Take us forward from there.
0: Sure, yes. It's funny when people ask me why I started started my business, it's like, I kind of wanted to go backwards in my career and go back to that KPMG client model and be able to influence other organizations again, not just the one that I did for 10 years. So it's kind of funny. It's like your career comes full circle back to, okay, now I'm ready to expand my horizons and influence a lot of different organizations and see more industries and really expand my learning. And that's really why I started my own business. Honestly, I feel like it was almost to kind of go back to that point in my career. My business obviously has three wings very clearly in my my, name of my company, (laughs) Audit Consulting Education, LLC. Audit, I don't ever want to leave the audit space. I love, I do what I call internal audit strategy work. So it's more of that top level coming into an organization and saying, here, I know you're saying, you've been saying for years, you want to add more value, but here's some real ways that you can do it. So that's why I call it strategy work. Consulting wise, I still do a lot of consulting on policy development, process controls, risks, anything like that. I still do consulting again in various industries. And then education is the piece kind of to lead to your other question. I always wanted to teach. It was just a love of mine. I actually had a stint as a substitute teacher when I lived in Wyoming for a couple of years and I loved it. I just love, love training. I always love training my new internal audit staff or even training at our organization. So I knew that education was going to be a big part of what I wanted to do. And I thought before I even kick off my own training business, maybe I should start by teaching those classes I love, like principles of accounting. So that's really what I went back to do. So I've actually been hired on at three universities here in the Denver area, and I've taught principles of accounting, intermediate accounting, intro to business, and internal audit. So I've taught those four classes so far, and I love it. I love to at least have one a semester where I get to refresh on those things that we learned back in school and then really expand into giving students those real world examples of how accounting happens in the real world and auditing happens in the real world and, and really expand their horizons there. So education is probably my favorite part of my business if I'm going to pick a favorite child. So, so teaching at the higher ed level is just a big part of that for me. Have you moved
1: into, I guess, other types of professional education yet or have any thoughts on that? Like CPE or recorded
0: material? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm a NASBA CPE sponsor. So I'm on the registry for CPE sponsors. So um, ACE, my company, Audit Consulting Education LLC, gives CPE credits. So I have a about monthly CPE book club that I have via webinars where I give some trainings on really good books that I've read on different topics. And I have a couple programs, training programs that are actually based on my books that I've written. I've written three books and I have associated uh, CPE training programs that go with those. So I do them live and virtual, of course, in our new world and hybrid now models in between. So that's my other favorite part of education. (laughs) Wow. And three books.
1: That's a major endeavor. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. I'm sorry, I can't resist, but I was thinking, you said you had been a substitute teacher and you spent so much time in internal audit. You're either very thick-skinned or like the eternal optimist,
0: (laughs) one or the other. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Always smiling. Oh, my gosh. My gosh. Wow. So... I know it's only been three years in your business, or more or less. I guess, what's the vision for the future of ACE? And I guess, how does that compare to what it looked like on day one?
0: Sure. You know, I, I never thought I'd write three books and have accompanying workbooks with them. I'd say that wasn't a part of my vision. So that was definitely a refinement, I think, as I started doing training, I realized that I started listening to what participants wanted. And, you know, I've been sitting, I'm a CPA, I'm a CIA, I'm a CFE. I've been on the other side of the training table for 17 years now and getting those requirements. And one of the biggest things I wanted to do right off the bat was to make those classes, those trainings more fun. And as I listened and saw people go through my trainings, I realized real quick that if they had a workbook to go through, if they had an actual book to read and take with them, the chances of them implementing the things that I was talking about and teaching were so much greater. And so I think that's really one thing that I refined from the beginning is that when you start a company, especially on the training side, you think you're just going to get up and speak in front of people. but There's so much more that needs to go into that. And I think that's where I've really spent the last year or two pouring my heart and soul into that. So I think... The vision nowadays is really how do you work in virtual more and more as well from a higher ed perspective, even from a consulting perspective. My clients have done a great job shifting to virtual. And I was really excited to take on a very new client in a brand new industry during our pandemic. So I love that even clients are really switching to embrace the virtual model and from both a consulting and an education standpoint. So I think that, That's something I've always wanted to do, even from day one, three years ago, was to do a lot virtually from my home. But I think now it's getting even easier to do that. So that's the positive there. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I remember... So we're recording this in April 2021, and I remember about a year ago, with the start of all the COVID lockdowns, some of my training friends were very nervous, and you know, everything had been canceled yeah. for them, and it was a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to one of the individuals that's been in the training space for a while, and just, how are things going? And it was funny, because they said, well, you know, we're doing everything online now, and actually, it's sort of nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I um, know.
0: I just yeah. booked my first plane ticket for my first in-person event, which is May 7th. So it's right around the corner here. So I'm really interested. It'll be a hybrid event in my home state of Georgia, but I'm really looking forward to it. But I'm a little nervous too, because it has been a different world for the last year. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you won't have to worry about people getting too close to the stage.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: right. <laughs> That's true. Well, I saw that you refer to yourself as an ethics and culture consultant, which sort of intrigued me also. What type of consulting do you do in that space?
0: I've done a lot of work with internal auditors on how can we audit culture. That was a hot topic a few years ago, and it continues to be, I think, a lot of boards wanted that reassurance that the culture at their organization was on the right track. And, and auditors looked around and said, how do we do this? And so that's a big piece of it. And I'd say on the other side, it's really making sure organizations have the right reporting mechanisms, the right hotline, that someone's not just reading the hotlines, but someone's investigating those hotlines, working with HR departments on complaints and reviewing reviews like glassdoor and indeed about the organization and just paying more attention to ethics and culture within our organization. I always ask this question at my training that says, what do you think is the number one important factor for success of an organization? And I give people three options. I say your product or strategy? At the organization, your finances, your revenue at the organization, or the ethics and the culture at your organization. And I'd say 75% or more every single time pick ethics and culture. That's the number one important item for success. Yet, we don't spend enough time there. Boards recognize they're not spending enough time there. Organizations recognize they're not spending enough time there. And auditors certainly do as well. So that's really why I saw this need to come in and improve that at organizations. And that can be as little as just really working on that ethics policy, making sure it's not a Google document from 20 years ago that was written by lawyers, but it's readable and understandable and it impacts individuals, it shows areas that could be gray, where there might need to be decision trees, and sometimes making it more fun, making it a video clip versus an actual policy document. So there's just so many things that go into that. Those are just a few examples. But really, that's my, that's my passion. That's, that's what I want to do more and more of in the next coming years.
1: Gosh. That's an area that would be for educational opportunities. When you said audit culture, I'm thinking, how in the world do you do that other than some kind of best places to work survey? That is very interesting. I have to say, so I work in the employment space. And when you mentioned reviews on Glassdoor and other online review kind of services, it does amaze me sometimes what's out there that the employer has no idea about, (laughs) you know,
0: or doesn't seem to have no idea. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. No one is checking it. Yeah. It's it's really intriguing.
0: It's really intriguing. Yes. And it's bringing that awareness back to ethics and culture, I think, is a huge part of it.
1: I'm trying to figure out how to ask this because we're talking about boards and internal audit departments and so you know, much more experienced individuals. A large part of our audience is fairly early on in their careers. So everything from that accounting major that just decided to major in accounting in college up through maybe the first four or five years in their career. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think that someone at that level doesn't know or needs to know about ethics or about company culture.
0: Yeah. Number one uh, piece of advice, I would say, is make sure you know you're very self-aware of your own value. You know them, you have those values maybe even written down, you've got your what I call an ethical mantra. I think that's the most important thing and that's what I teach a lot of my students as well. And the second step of that, which goes hand in hand with knowing your own values, is when you're interviewing for an organization or you first start working there or you've been working there for five years, make sure you know your organization's values. And I may not even necessarily mean the ones they have written on the board or wherever they have them online. What are those values that they're really living? Because sometimes those don't even go hand in hand. And the third piece of that is make sure those two things match. There are lots of organization choices out there from a career perspective. And if you have that feeling that this isn't the place that's right for you, I encourage you to keep looking until you find that organization where their values match your own values. And you have to know both of those first. So to me, that's really key. And no matter what point in your career you are, that's a good exercise, I think, to practice. Do you feel like
1: in order to figure out the values that are really lived out in an organization, I mean, do you feel like some of the online reviews (laughs) are worthwhile or what are your thoughts on those?
0: I'm one that gathers information from all angles. In fact, I just had a conversation with a student who accepted an internship at a CPA firm. And I said, keep your eyes and ears open. Just watch, observe what's happening around you. Sometimes on internships, I think they treat you really well. And I said, pay attention, talk to those staff auditors that have been there a year and, and ask how they're doing and they're feeling about it. Don't just take your own gut feeling, but mix in others around you and really check out how others are feeling. And I think a, a part of that can be reading what others say about the company. I think that that does say a lot. I'm huge on surveys. I'm teaching internal auditors how to do surveys more. And that can be on culture? How can auditors ask everybody at their organization three key questions on how they feel about the culture and the ethics and the leadership at their organization? So I think it never hurts to get people's opinions and thoughts. Now, reviews tend to either be really negative or really positive. So you've got to use a lot of factors to weigh that in. But I think just really keeping your eyes open and paying attention is a good way to do that. That makes sense. Sure, sure. Well,
1: I'm curious... Because you seem to be someone that, well, and you've said this, that you really want to make an impact. So someday when you're looking back at your own career or maybe the work you're doing now, what impacts will you hope to be able to
0: say that you made 20 years from now? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh, there's a couple of things that I could say here. What pops to my head initially is the title of one of my ethics courses, which is Say Something Even If. And I always say, say something even if it's hard, even if you lose your job, even if you lose a friend, even if you anger your boss say something even if. I think one of my mantras has always been speak up even if your voice shakes. And I think that's that's the impact I want to have on other people when it comes to ethics, not only living your own values, influencing others to live theirs as well. And I really hope that through either my consulting work or my trainings and education that I'm influencing people to speak up and to really not shy away from speaking the truth. Mm, I love that. Speak up even if your voice shakes. That's, mm-hmm. that's very descriptive.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, I end every show with the same three questions, and we'll get to those in just a second. There is one more thing I want to ask you about, because if I confess, the way I found you online, there were a few things that caught attention, but one of them was lover of Dobermans and Pomerantians. <laughs> so <laughs> Is it simply that you have one of each or is is there more to that story?
0: No, I do have one of each. And in fact, you'll laugh at this. My husband actually gave me a pair of Doberman socks for Christmas and a pair of Pomeranian socks for Christmas, but I wear one of each. So my socks never match when I wear them because I can't favor one over the other. That would be like picking my favorite child. So I have my girl, Haley, is a Doberman, and then my little boy, Nike, is the Pomeranian, and so they're my other loves of my life besides my husband and my real child, not my furry child. <laughs>
1: Those are fairly big dogs, aren't they? A Doberman, is a Pomeranian?
0: Doberman is. Are- no, they're oh, little, okay. <laughs> so I've got big oh, and little, pom- so everybody laughs. One is about, uh, I'd say one-tenth of the size of the other one, so. <laughs>
1: okay, okay. Sorry, I'm not that wise, obviously. <laughs>
0: You
1: know, you're good. Okay. Very good. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about on the socks because for some reason Facebook thinks I want those too because they keep coming up in my feed. My <laughs> <evening laughs> I should order these, these dog socks. No. Uh, <laughs> too funny. Too funny. Well, I do it with the same three questions, so we'll go ahead and get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment?
0: I would say when I spoke up, even when my voice shook. I think that living out my values and and living out that ethical mantra was probably my proudest moment. And it led to a hard lesson that I had to learn, but I always look back on that and be very proud that I did that in my career. As you said, auditors need tough skin, thick skin sometimes, but it's still important to speak up and speak the truth. So that was my proudest moment. Mm. Usually when I talk
1: to someone that spent any substantial amount of time in internal audit, particularly if later they teach ethics, they have some hard lessons learned or or some hard situations they had to go to, which which led them into that area. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, the second request, it may be the same story, I'm not sure, but tell a lesson you learned the hard way. And of course, the more you can tell us, the better, because that really is how the
0: audience and I learn from these. Sure. I think maybe it's stemming from when I spoke up. The lesson I learned is that sometimes change comes pretty quickly in your career and unexpectedly, and it's really scary. But I think the lesson I learned is that it can also be the best thing that ever happened to you and to your career. I think it's just about embracing that change, no matter how it comes, making a different choice. This particular instance that I'm talking about happens to be when I decided to start my own business. And so... It was scary. It is scary to leave corporate America sometimes, depending on which direction you're going. It's scary to start a new job. But I think just embracing that change, embracing any adversity that you face, I talk about that in one of my books. It's just so important. And it really can trigger good things in your life. So the hard lessons, but they get us to the best places. That's true. I know a lot of
1: very successful business owners that started because they had to <laughs> for, mm-hmm. some, for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. And yeah, they look back on it and what was a very difficult situation at that time, they look back and they're thinking, well, I'm glad that happened because otherwise I yeah, wouldn't right. what I have now, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Well, last question and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
0: Oh, so I had somebody actually give me something after an ethics presentation and I've actually framed it and put it on my desk. And I think it qualifies as advice. So I'm going to give that. Let's say it's a quote. So the quote is, live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. And I look at that as advice. I end a lot of my ethics presentations with that piece of advice. It's all about figuring out how you want to live. But I think the best advice I can give is really live your life so that You wouldn't be embarrassed if it was on the front of the Wall Street Journal. And you wouldn't be embarrassed if it was on the Google homepage. And you wouldn't be embarrassed to sell your family parrot to the town gossip. So just really live your life as ethically as possible and remember that the little things do matter. They might seem inconsequential, but in the scheme of things, everything really adds up and matters, especially when it comes to our values and our ethics. Yes. Yes. I think one of our other Ethics related guest said, think about how you would
1: feel or how you're going to feel about this decision 10 years from now. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. if you're looking back on it, that, wow, that really is good advice. We all need to hear that. That's beautiful. But if someone wants to find out more about Audit Period Consulting Period Education Period LLC or you, what's the best place to look online?
0: Sure, so website of that same name, auditconsultingeducation.com is my website. It's got everything about me on there, about my services, about a lot of my trainings coming up, on to some on demand trainings out there. And then LinkedIn. I'm really active on LinkedIn. It's my network of choice, social media network of choice. And I love to connect with new people and it leads to a lot of conversations and I love those conversations. So connect with me on LinkedIn as well.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Joe. This really has been a wonderful episode. I appreciate you sharing your time with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, that was my interview with Amanda Joe Irvin, or Joe Irvin, as she prefers to be called. I really appreciated a couple things about this interview, and at the end of these, I always try to point out just a couple. First of all, I always enjoy a conversation about ethics and internal audit, but I really appreciated how we got down to what internal audit should be in an ideal situation and what we should work towards. And Obviously, with Joe's experience, she's an ideal person to talk about this, and she's put a lot of thought into it. You can tell she's talking from experience. And secondly... We talk about culture and ethics occasionally on the program. What I really appreciated about this conversation, though, was we got down to how you figure out if where you're going to work or where you work or where you want to work is the right place from a values and culture and ethical standpoint. Joe got a little granular on that, and I really appreciated that as well, because that's practical information that we all can use, whether we're just starting our career journey or whether we're continuing it at this point. That's something we all can use. Thank you very much, Joe. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accounts Go, the Accounting Careers podcast. I mentioned this in the intro, but that's because I'm very serious about it. If there's anything I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. Well, until next time, we'll see you all next week. After all, this is where accountants go.